Apple scores its first big free trade agreement in a decade. What does this mean for ties between India and the United Arab Emirates and for the larger Gulf region? Hello and welcome to Worldview at the Hindu with me, Sohasini Heather. Now, India and the UAE have announced the launch of their free trade agreement or what is formally called the Comprehensive Economic Partnership Agreement or SIPA. Uh, as Prime Minister Narendra Modi and the UAE Deputy Commander of uh, Forces as well as the Crown Prince of Abu Dhabi, Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed, held a virtual summit on Friday. Now, remember, Prime Minister Modi was due to visit Abu Dhabi in January, uh, and that trip had to be cancelled due to the Omicron wave uh, of COVID. And while he might still go next month, before, in fact, the Dubai Expo ends on March 31st, he is due to visit that, the two sides have clearly decided to delay the launch of the SIPA no further. Uh, the agreement is very much a first in many ways. It's a first for the Modi government, which until 2020 had really eschewed all free trade agreements, called them unfair to India, cancelled all bilateral investment treaties, walked out of RCEP negotiations, remember with Southeast Asia, uh, China, Australia and Japan, after eight years. Uh, this is in fact the first big free trade agreement being signed by India in 10 years, although it did sign the CECPA with Mauritius in February 2021, that was not seen as as large a deal. It's also a first amongst other FTAs that are being negotiated today. So there's one with the United Kingdom, uh, also Australia. Now, both of these have timelines attached and should be completed this year itself, but the UAE is really the first. Uh, there are other FTA negotiations as well with the EU, Gulf countries, as well as Canada. But as I said, the UAE is the first. For the UAE, which has the benefit of several FTAs within the Gulf Cooperation Council of six states. Now, these are Arab monarchies, basically. Uh, Bahrain, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and the UAE. Uh, but this is one of the first FTAs, the one with India, that it has signed independently outside of the GCC. So what will the India-UAE SIPA? really mean for relations between them. The first is obviously that it will give a push to bilateral trade, which at present is valued at about $59 billion pre-pandemic. And in 2019, uh, UAE was the third largest trading partner for India. India was the UAE's second largest trading partner for non-oil trade. They hope now to take this $15 billion odd uh, to double it in the next five years. Now, this could also mean more UAE investment currently billed at about $18 billion in, in India, of which about $11.6 billion is actually FDI. The rest is portfolio investment. So that's a very important uh, source. I think the UAE is the ninth largest uh, investor in India. The SIPA with the UAE could also pave the way for a broader FCA, FTA with GCC countries, uh, for which a framework agreement was actually signed in 2004. FTA talks were launched in 2006, but they've been abandoned since then. So this could become the way to the GCC FTA as well. Uh, and it also means more engagement through the West Asian Quad or the MEQ, which we've spoken about at Worldview before. That was launched last year between US, Israel, India, and the UAE as a platform for economic cooperation. Now, trade is clearly one of the big pillars of ties between India and the UAE. Uh, also with the entire Gulf region. Just take a look at some of the history. In fact, it dates back, documented to about 4,000 years, right back to links between the Mesopotamian and the Indus Valley civilizations. 
the trade which was has been done over the centuries uh, by barter focused traditionally on goods like dates like pearls frankincense and myrrh and fish coming from the gulf whereas indian finished goods really became the bulk of supplies to the arabian peninsula this became a big part of all the goods available in this region for some centuries the british uh, controlled the gulf then from the bombay presidency few would in fact know that until the 1870s uh, the indian rupee was actually legal tender in five of the six gcc states all except saudi arabia today india and uae as i said are aiming to cross 100 billion dollars in bilateral trade in the next 5 years uh, where apart from fuel there's apparel gems and jewelry electric machinery all powering uh, the relationship but there is more energy is that other big pillar between the two in the modern world we really look to 1962 when india first imported oil from abu dhabi and even changed the balance of ties really once the arab world really discovered so much more oil in 2020 for example by 2020 saudi arabia uh, was exporting about 38 million tons to india the uae uh, was uh, was sending about 22 million tons they were the second and third largest source of india's oil imports uh, constituting about half of india's crude requirements this of course after india decided to cut and zero out its oil supplies from iran under pressure from the united states the third is labor and each of these is a very strong pillar that the two countries uh, ties stand on india's vast migrant labor population to the gulf is about 8 million in all um and uh, in the uae about 3.5 million indians work there they're the largest ethnic community about 30% of the population and you see them in all walks of services from administrative and health and tourism and labor uh, anyone who's visited the uae can tell you that Uh, they sent home remittances of about 14 billion dollars a year quite a large chunk uh, in fact of all of india's remittances and apart from those very big people to people ties it is the ties between the leaders of the two countries that we've seen particularly strengthened in the last few weeks uh, prime minister modi's government has really given the biggest credit because when he traveled to the uae in 2015 it was the first in decades by an indian pm both in fact since then have made rare exceptions for the other in 2017 uh, mr modi invited mbz as he is called uh, sheikh mohammed bin zayed who is not a head of state or a head of government but he was invited as, as the republic day chief guest for the first time and then in april 2019 the uae did something unusual decided to award mr modi its highest civilian order it's called the order of zayed but what was interesting and why it caused a lot of comment was that or, uh, that award was given right as indian elections were underway uh, in 2019 in fact ties had grown so close between the two that the uae even invited external affairs minister former and now late uh, external affairs minister sushma swaraj to address the organization for islamic cooperation or the oic grouping india is of course not a part of and has a tense relationship with so these were some of the relationships big pillars new areas of cooperation have come up as well Uh, the first is in the area of defense and strategic partnerships india and the uae signed a comprehensive strategic partnership in 2017 they hold annual defense dialogues more recently of course the uae is a key part of the indian ocean region dialogue so both welcoming each other into their regions the india takes part in military exercises military chiefs including general narawane have visited uh, then there is the area of terrorism where we've seen 
a real shift in the policy from the Gulf, from being seen as a safe haven for some of India's most wanted ter terrorists and underworld figures, uh, most notably Dawood Ibrahim. Post-2001, we actually saw a shift in the UAE's policies, uh, and now they cooperate, especially after 2611 and the Mumbai attacks, we've seen them cooperating with India, both on extraditing fugitives and terror suspects, as well as intelligence sharing. Then the big shift came in 2019 over Jammu and Kashmir. After the Modi government's move on Article 370 and bifurcating Jammu Kashmir, the UAE was one of the first countries to offer its support. It subsequently signed a number of MOUs promising investment and infrastructure in JNK and launched uh, the possibility of a new flight between Sharjah and Srinagar. Now, why is this significant? Is because the UAE had traditionally supported Pakistan on the issue. And so this really denotes a new area of cooperation with India. An interesting aside is in fact the role that the UAE says it has played in mediation between India and Pakistan. And over the past three years, Dubai has allegedly facilitated meetings between interlocutors, including National Security Advisor Dover and Pakistan military officials. Uh, and finally, this is a big area. India and the UAE have signed a number of digital innovation technology partnership and also plans for ISRO and the UAE Space Agency to cooperate, uh, missions like the Red Planet mission. The Emirates has also offered golden visa residency permits for doctors, engineers, PhD scholars, specialists in high-end technology fields, artificial intelligence, big data, virology, and epidemiology. And of course, one of the most high profile of those taking that golden visa were uh, former ISRO chief K. Radhakrishnan, who went over to the UAE Space Agency. So given all these new and vast areas of cooperation, where are the areas where India and the UAE face their biggest challenges? One is, of course, in balancing geopolitics. Uh, India has its close ties with Iran, and this has really led to some tensions with the UAE. This played out over Yemen as well. But then India was very unequivocal in its support for the UAE when those uh, attacks by Houthi groups in the UAE where two Indians and a Pakistani were killed uh, a month ago. Uh, the UAE also has a relationship with China, but this has not so far gotten in the way of the relationship with India. Then there is the issue of energy pricing. Because remember, as an OPEC country, UAE is on the other side of the debate, where India, as a major oil consumer, is here arguing for a cap on prices. And this has seen some heated words between oil ministers in the past, although the UAE has always been understanding of India's position. However, India and UAE have another issue, and that is that they are yet to renegotiate an air services agreement. This has really become a thorn in ties, something their ambassador refers to quite a lot, because the UAE wants to increase the number of flights to India, as well as the number of destinations they fly to. But India continues to cap these uh, in order, it says, to protect Indian airlines. Then there is the issue of the treatment of Indian labor, and it's something that frequently flares up. Uh, firstly, Indians aren't granted citizenship in the UAE. Uh, therefore, there's always a worry about their welfare as well as conditions at Indian labor camps in particular that become a matter of concern. And then the big concern during the pandemic, much of the labor to the Gulf uh, has had to return back to India. Remittances are likely to be slashed as much as 25% in the next few years. And the question of when the UAE will take them all back. Um, then there is this other big new issue really, which is the treatment of minorities in India. After the Citizenship Amendment Act protests, we saw many social media controversies. Now the hijab ban has raised concerns in Gulf countries. The OIC issued a very strong statement, which India rejected. 
And conversely, although very few, less than 100 Indians based in the Gulf actually joined ISIS and earlier joined Al-Qaeda, I think very, very few, the export of radicalization on both sides is always going to be a concern between countries that have such close ties. Clearly, uh, the Gulf and particularly the UAE is an old relationship made new with India in the last few years. And while the Modi government has made great strides in strengthening relations at the top, it must watch for a reaction in Islamic Gulf countries to India's domestic tensions very closely, especially given the numbers of Indians that live in the region. An area that we hope to track much more for you in the future. Uh, here at Worldview, we do have book recommendations for you. And there really aren't as many books on the subject of India and the Gulf as there should be. One expert to follow is P.R. Kumaraswamy, professor at JNU, who nearly every year has brought out an edition of Persian Gulf, India's relations with the region. Uh, most recently, I think he brought this out in 2020. Another expert from JNU, A.K. Pasha, has written India and the Gulf region. It's a slightly older book, but it's about maritime history, trade, security, and political reforms. Uh, then there is a volume called Developments in the Gulf Region, Prospects and Challenges for India in the Next Two Decades. Uh, it's definitely a very interesting work edited by Brigadier Rumel Dahia of the IDSA, Institute of Defense and Strategic Analysis, that focuses on post-Arab Spring developments in particular. Uh, then there is this lovely book. It's delightful because of all the pictures as well and the history uh, and the presence uh, of Thai's uh, relationship uh, uh, between India and the UAE. It's called in celebration of a legendary friendship. This is by a former diplomat, uh, Venu Rajamani, who was actually posted to the UAE as well. Uh, then there is a book called The Islamic Connection, South Asia and the Gulf by Christophe Jaffrelo. Now remember, uh, this is of course a book that uh, talks about the links between the Gulf and all of South Asia and particularly the Islamic Connection. Uh, but Jaffrelo has written several books about South Asia, most recently on Modi's India and the rise of Hindu nationalism which is certainly very interesting. And finally, there is uh, the Arabian frontier of the British Raj, merchants, rulers, and the British in the 19th century Gulf. And this is the history I was speaking about. It has monographs in it. I've only seen uh, a few of the plates, but they're certainly very expensive, interesting. It's a very expensive book, uh, even on Kindle. So hopefully you can access it, reference it. Uh, but it tells you all about how the British made the connection between the two regions and how both the Gulf and South Asia have a shared experience of capitalism and colonialism. So those are some of the books we hope you do find very interesting. And that's all we have time for here on Worldview, but from the team here. Thanks for watching.